Hey there listeners, welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who aren't quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Oshvin, I've got Brian on the phone with me, and on this week's episode we're going to be talking about the 2022 horror film Hellraiser, directed by David Bruckner, based on the Hellbound Heart by Clive Barker, and starring Odessa Azion, Jamie Clayton, and Brandon Flynn. In this film, a mysterious puzzle box causes demonic tortures to those who encounter it. If you're new to our show, Brian and I will have a spoiler-free discussion up front, then we'll take a quick break where you'll hear some music, and then we'll dive into the plot, review the film, and uh, hit the spoilers as we go. Um, Brian, uh, oh, before we start, uh, any Patreon members, new Patreon members you want to thank? Yeah, it's been a while since we shouted out new Patreon members, so we've got a lot of them. Uh, we want to thank Adam, Casey, Thomas, Brianna, Josh, Isaac, Kyle, Josh, again, so there's Josh D and Josh L, Zach, Logan, Carson, Alexis, Anthony, Nathan, Andrew, Susan, and Melvin. Thank all of you. This has been our biggest streak of new patrons forever. We wow. had a new patron every day for 15 days. That's awesome. Wow. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate all that support. Yeah. Thank you all. And one other housekeeping thing uh, for the Patreon listeners, we are going to have an episode coming out this week on the movie Smile that just came out in theaters like two, three weeks ago. Right, Brian? Yeah, I guess so. It's going to be about two weeks ago by the time we get it out, maybe. Cool. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about that one and put that one out there. Um, But yeah, thanks for all your support. And uh, yeah, Hellraiser, speaking, I guess, again, about Patreon, uh, Brian, you recently put you reviewed the whole franchise and put that on our Patreon page. So as someone who's only seen the first film, what is the TLDR on Hellraiser? Okay, first you have to tell me what TLDR means. Oh, man, I, <laughs> I'm i not sure. It's something to do with uh, Too Late, Don't Read or something. Oh, Too Long, Didn't Read. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Okay, all right, we got there. <laughs> Thanks. I feel like I should know that from my time on the Discord. These kids are always teaching me something. Dropping these acronyms, yeah. The Too Long Didn't Read on the whole franchise? Yep. Oh, man. Okay, well, there's a puzzle box and Cenobites, and that's all that any movie has in common. <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? There's, like, that much, uh, like, variance between the films? Well, once you get to the fifth movie, they really start to feel, partially because it's 100% true in many of the movies, that they are existing tr- scripts that they pushed Hellraiser stuff into. Oh, so they no. add a puzzle box and yeah. they add Cenobites. Like literally <laughs> uh, many, of, I think at least at least two, maybe three, were scripts that uh, Miramax had lying around. <laughs> they were like, okay, let's make this into a Hellraiser movie, and they <laughs> rewrote it. They had to keep releasing movies to keep the rights to the franchise. Sure. So, just so they would working. put out crappy ones. They'd rework existing scripts they had lying around for oh, them. Oh, man. That's hilarious. So many of them are like noir police procedural type things. It's just. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Just like kind of uh, retrofitting a puzzle box and uh, some crazy demons who are into like painful shit into every movie. Yes. That's yep. kind of, that's a fun exercise. Making sure Pinhead gets in there for at least a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and was Clive Barker, he did the first one, was he, how involved was he in the sequels? Um, Hardly at all after that. Um, I can't remember 
boy, I feel like I studied up for the the franchise rundown and some of it's dumped out of my head now, but I can't remember how involved he was in two and three. Okay. Think about after that, he's pretty much done with the franchise. Okay. Yeah. But now he, he owns the rights again. He purchased the rights back. And we're seeing this with other franchises too. And Stephen King has done it. After 35 years, you can buy the rights back from your publisher or hmm. movie studio or whatever. A writer can own the rights again. So Oh, that's cool. Yes. Yeah, does so does the clock then reset and then you have it for 35 years? Then someone could buy it off of you? Or is it a one-time 35 thing? It's, it's a one-time thing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, pretty neat. Yes. Uh, so Clive Barker now owns the U.S. rights to Hellraiser as of December 19th, 2021. Oh, okay, cool. Wow. So, yeah, it's really interesting because this film has been talked about since 2007, it seems like. He's been involved in like various stages. At one point, he was even on the table to potentially direct it, but ultimately he didn't. But um, he does own the rights here, so he's obviously profiting from this film, or hopefully. You know what? That is a good question. So this movie was, filming was wrapped like two months before he acquired the rights. Hmm. So I'm not sure how, I don't know the mechanics of all this. Okay. I know any future works in the Hellraiser name have to have his approval. But he also kind of only has rights to the first one, and anything that happens in sequels he doesn't have rights to. So that gets, the water gets muddy hmm. there. Yeah. Um, so it's really strange. I, I don't totally understand it. Okay. I, I think it would probably be up for debate. Like maybe you could have a spinoff featuring some of the characters from a sequel. And if it wasn't, didn't have like the puzzle box and Cenobites in it, maybe he could do nothing about oh, it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how all that works. Yeah. How do you own that IP? Right. It's weird. It is. How do you own that IP? It is. Yeah. I, I'm not a huge fan of this guy. Uh, I don't think I've, I liked Nightbreed or... Uh, I know he was like kind of tangentially involved with the... Well, he, he did write the original story for behind Candyman. Is that right? Yes. Okay. He did. What, what's your take on Clive Barker? Are you a fan? I really like him as a writer, and I enjoyed reading The Hellbound Heart, the novella that this is based on. Mm-hmm. But I don't think his skills translate to movies very well sure i don't think he wrote the screenplay for Candyman, if i remember correctly yeah i don't think so um so yeah i think his stories can be adapted to screen really well but like if right. he's directing or writing the screenplay i think it gets a little i agree a little wonky i agree i agree but uh despite being wonky and maybe not working real well i i gotta admit like it, it is very unique right like what you can tell a clive barker film when you see it there's some kind of like strange uh combination of like romance and like uh torture and like grotesqueness that i i feel like is uh pretty unique to him only yeah and some sort of like whimsy and fantasy too. oh yeah like definitely a dark fantasy right dark fantasy yeah i feel like that captures yeah. him pretty well um yep. but otherwise you had a pretty well-known director here david bruckner who we saw in the original vhs he did amateur hour which was probably one of the better shorts in that uh first vhs and then last year or the year before, we saw him do Nighthouse, which I think we both liked quite a bit. So, yeah. So I was, I was surprised to see his name. He, he's not a director I would have guessed would have been attracted to this franchise. Yeah, some of his other work doesn't really it doesn't really point to him taking over the Helms with the Hellraiser franchise. Yeah. Uh, and I can't 
I didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. I tried not to think about it too much. I was just yeah. happy that the director who I liked was taking over because I like everything he's done here. Same, yeah, he's done really well. Uh, and yeah, we, as we go through the movie and the plot, we'll talk through if we saw like any repetition or signs of his in there. Um, right. But yeah, it sounds like he's ultimately the person who came and directed it. Before him, there was talk of Clive Barker. There was talk of two other guys who did uh, Jason X. Those even at one point they were looking at the guy who directed Inside. So all right. all very different approaches, I'm sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Pascal Lugier. Wait, did he direct Inside or did he direct? No, wait a minute. So Julianne Mari and Alexandra Bustillo. Yeah. I think they directed Inside, and then I think Pascal Lugier directed. Martyrs. Yeah, but I don't think Pascal Lugier came up for this one, did he? He did. He was going to direct oh. at some point, too. Oh, okay, okay. So this is weird. They had these new French extremity yeah. people in the mix, which actually was a, a good idea. I, I know. Mean, they're not too... They are not similar, but... Yeah. In, in terms of graphicness and sexuality and pushing the envelope... And torture, and yeah. That is similar. I know. I think that would have been really interesting to see... Um, Agreed. Yeah. The the cast here, uh, you know, I, I don't recognize anyone. I think all, a lot of them are from TV shows uh, or like uh, uh, things on Netflix. Um, did you recognize any of them or, or know them? I did not recognize anybody, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie Clayton was in The Neon Demon, which is a horror movie I've really wanted to oh, see for years. We should yeah. cover that sometime. We should. We should. That looks really cool. Um, yeah, yeah, she was also in Sense8. It's, it is really cool that she plays Pinhead. Uh, I, I imagine this is the first time they have like a female actress or female an actress doing that role, right? Yes. Yeah, it was it was Doug Bradley for eight movies. Then in nine and ten, it was different guys. Okay. And Doug- it was a drop off. It, it was noticeable that the, she's easily the second best. Yeah. Pinhead in the franchise. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Great decision there. Good casting. And in the book, they don't all say the gender of Pinhead, right. and, and they don't call it it Pinhead, but they say it has the, like a female voice. Oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So, if anything, it was a woman in the book. Sure, sure. If it had a gender. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I, I just feel like the, uh, Doug was so iconic in in the role, and like that's all you'd see for this film is the his face with the pins coming out. So crazy that they yeah. switched out the main character, changed up the gender, but but that makes sense, uh, especially given like the book wasn't specific about it. Kind of cool to also, see. Also, I hope no one's offended that I said it instead of they. Yeah, we're talking about an evil demon, so that's yeah. where I put the it on. the what do you call them? Cenobites. 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 Yep. Um, from uh, other famous names, I think attached to this Ben Lovett on the music side. He did Night House and I Trapped the Devil. I think we've been fans of his work before. I can't remember if I've enjoyed his stuff or not. It's, I know we've discussed <laughs> him, but I don't know that I loved... I think I liked the score to the Night House. Yeah, I don't remember it being offensive. And I think I Trapped the Devil had a pretty prominent score. Because that was like a quiet yeah, film. I can't remember. I, can't, I have no... Yeah. I can't say my opinion on his work, only that I'm familiar with his work. Maybe it's safe to say we have an opinion on him, and uh, for more on that, go check out one of those episodes. and remind, Yeah, right, exactly, because <laughs> we can't remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, but familiar name, and then uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, this has a 69% critics and 65 audience, so pretty close alignment there. Um, were you surprised to see any of that? That seems about... I don't know. 
That seems about what I'd expect. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people not very familiar with the franchise are like, this is fine. And I think people familiar with the franchise are like, this is way better than anything we've gotten in oh, yeah. 20, 30 years. So sure. cool. <laughs> yeah. But, so I don't know. I, I guess those numbers kind of make sense. Right, yeah, yeah, it depends what your frame of reference is. And when we, we talked about only the first one on this podcast, and yeah, when was that? Like 2019, 2020? Like it's been a year, it's at least two, three years, right? It's been a long time since we discussed that, yeah. Right, right. I would like to discuss two and three with you in depth at oh, some okay. point. Even though you, you did your Patreon review, you still want to talk about it? I think it'd be, yeah. I'd, and those were the best ones in my opinion so i mm. wouldn't mind one sequel september coming back around okay cool yeah to, I'll t- uh, yeah i'm gonna ask at the end here where you fit this one in your rankings oh um, yeah for sure sure get to that cool anything else background wise you want to call out i can't remember if you mentioned it but ben collins and luke piotrowski uh wrote this and they also wrote the night house an amateur um, night too or no they wrote amateur i can't remember if they wrote Amateur Night, actually, but they wrote Siren, which was the full feature-length adaptation of Amateur Night. Right. Um, and David S. Geyer has a story credit for this, and his writing credits include Blade, Dark City, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy. So wow. he's had a hand in some big movies, so no slouches here on the writing side of things. Sure. That's impressive. Yeah. They're bringing a lot to the table. Uh, it, that surprises me because it, it's a Hulu release. Uh, you think with like so many prominent people behind the film, uh, this would have warranted. I could have seen this being a big like theatrical release, given like the cult following the franchise has. I can't remember if someone said this on Discord or Twitter, but they were just like, "Isn't it weird that this big Hellraiser, like Hellraiser movie by David Bruckner, is a Hulu release and not yeah. a theatrical release?" Yeah, that's kind of wild. It should be a big deal. And right. like people were talking it up and stuff. So yeah, and and watching it like it does, it doesn't feel like a small budget film or anything. Like it, I think they went all out here. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Oh, but speaking of that, do you know who the effects team was behind this? Yes, I do. I did. Who are they? Uh, yeah, it was done by a married couple named Josh and Sierra Russell. Oh, and okay. they worked with Bruckner on Southbound, The Ritual, The Night House. And they also worked on Bliss and VFW. Wow. Uh, many other films as well, but those were some I know are notable to the two of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a lot of respect for them because they're responsible for the monster in The Ritual. So Oh, cool. I feel like between that and Bliss and VFW, it's, again, no slouches here. So yeah. this is a great team that's been assembled. Yeah great director taking on a franchise with promise that hasn't delivered much in the past so yeah it is a little weird that it's just a a hulu do you, do you think it has anything to do with the mismatch like yeah maybe behind the scenes you got a lot of big names and veterans of the industry but on screen you've got like a lot of unrecognizable people or is that just you and i being so out of the loop on like new shows that uh th- these are actually pretty recognizable actors and actresses. yeah maybe i also think we're getting maybe to a point where streaming and we're going to see equally um remarkable notable things coming out to streaming networks as as to theaters so, sure yeah they're almost i coming. mean it's very much been like that for the past few years and i think that this year has been the first year i feel like horror is back in the theater mm-hmm. and even last year it felt like 
it wasn't you wouldn't blink to see something big come out just as streaming. So yeah, maybe we've had so many great things in the theater that we're kind of forgetting. Hey, big things can come to sure to streaming services too. Yeah, streaming has always stepped up, and I almost feel like theaters now are like reserved for like Marvel films or like those big yeah nonsense things. And and yeah, you got more quality stuff coming out now on streaming stuff with similar budgets. Yeah, it's interesting. And this franchise has been direct to video for, I mean, ever since the early 90s. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Didn't want to break that trend. Yeah. Can't, can't break the streak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Did we mention this is the 11th movie? I can't remember. Oh, if we did. no, we didn't. Okay. And I'd consider this a reboot. I, I've read that it's another adaptation, like a, a second adaptation of The Hellbound Heart, but I think it's so different from The Hellbound Heart that I don't think it makes sense. To call mm. it that. I think reboot is the right word. Okay, so it like totally wipes out the history and this is like the start of a new franchise basically. It seems like it. I mean whether or not they continue down this road, I think they I'm sure they will make another one. Yeah. It's just so different. They're not I wouldn't say they're remaking the original because it's so far from that story wise. I, I agree. A fresh start. Yep. Yep. That's what it feels like. Cool. Any other background? That's all I got. Should I hit the Ohio connection? Let's hear it. All right, as always, our friend Alex connects every movie we watch to our home state of Ohio for us. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio, so if you're in the area, go have some great food and great drinks. And Alex says Hellraiser is a supernatural horror film reboot of the Hellraiser franchise and the 11th installment overall. The film is scored by recording artist, film composer, songwriter, and producer Ben Lovett. As a film composer, Lovett has scored a diverse range of films and documentaries, including The Ritual, The Night House, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, and Synchronicity. In 2016, he produced the album Asheville Symphony Sessions with the Asheville Symphony Orchestra, a professional orchestra from Asheville, North Carolina. The orchestra was founded in the mid-60s and became a professional organization in 1977 under conductor Robert Hart Baker. In 2004, Baker was succeeded by the former conductor of the Cleveland Orchestra, Daniel Meyer, born in Cleveland, Ohio. Nice, nice. Cool. You got uh, our home state and then my old hometown of Asheville, North Carolina, in there all in one fell swoop. That's a good combo. Pretty impressive. Nice job, Alex. Uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah, man, I wonder if we liked that guy. I, I'm really curious now. Because uh, as, as soon as I saw his picture, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this guy's page. Um yeah. I remember we thought it was we talked about him being from Asheville, but I, yeah, I can't yeah. remember our opinion. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Hate when that happens. Uh, What's your opinion now after this movie? I think we could spoil that part of the review. Oh, um, the music in this one, you know, I, it didn't jump out to me. I, I thought it kind of fit well in in the background, where it wasn't like in the way of the plot or the experience of the film. So I, th- I thought it worked. It was adequate. What, what did you think? I thought it was kind of generic. Well, there was a lot of return to Christopher Young score from the first one. Oh. Like, they replayed that. Okay. Um, but I felt like the Ben Lovett stuff seemed kind of generic to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely felt like background stuff didn't really stick out as... Like, yeah, for stuff. sure. But yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Good opinion. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, hey, let's, let's jump into the plots and spoil the film and hit our review. Uh, before we do, though, do you mind if we take a quick break? I, I've just uh, got something stuck in my throat. I, I just want to wash it down. Okay. Yeah, sure. Cool. I'll be right back.
Hey, Brian, sorry about that. I'm back. Yeah, did you get everything cleared up? Oh, I, you know, I, I couldn't get it out, uh, so I just did the old uh, needle in the throat trick and uh, just kept poking and stabbing until uh, I, I got it. It was just a piece of hair stuck in my throat, but now my throat's all cut <laughs> up. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Exactly, yeah. Calls for extreme measures sometimes. <laughs> for some reason, I feel like this is not the first time your fake break had something to do with performing a tracheotomy on yourself. <laughs> You know, I'm not the type of guy, right? <laughs> just... Or maybe I did that once. <laughs> We're running out of material. Yeah, shoot. That does sound really familiar. Um, Damn, yeah. Nah, dang, I gotta go back. You don't think it was another Hellraiser, do you? Is that a Hellraiser thing? I hope not. I don't think it was. feels more recent than that. Mm. Throat stuff. Cool. All right. Uh, let's go through the plot then. You got something? I just, re- I just realized what movie. It might have been Inside. Oh, okay. French extremity stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Well, so this movie opens with a lawyer out in Belgrade buying a box, uh, doing like a shady deal, handing a suitcase of cash to someone. We then jump to this party that's happening at some great mansion, and a young man, a young man is led by that same lawyer into an empty room uh, that is filled with artifacts. He sees this mysterious looking puzzle box that he picks up and then Roland Voigt shows up uh, who's this kind of uh, suave looking dude and he tells this young gentleman to play with the puzzle box. So the man does so. Uh, Unfortunately he gets stabbed by a sharp object that pops out of the puzzle at which point Roland gates the area and locks that guy in and we see these chains come out of nowhere and uh, attach themselves to this guy and lift him into the sky and he's screaming in pain and then Roland screams in triumph for the gods to hear him and seems to call upon the gods and the screen cuts. Uh, What did you think of this opening? Uh, I was fine with it. It felt pretty generic and and not that different than how some of the bad sequels could have started. So Mm. I kind of feel like right off the bat I was like a little... Not peeved, but like the hopes I had for like a big <laughs> swing with this movie were kind of dashes. Sure. Like, okay, this might feel more like all the old Hellraiser movies than I think it was going to. Oh, okay. What did okay. you think of it? Yeah, I agree. Not very impressive. It, it felt like uh, definitely had like the brand feel with some of the shapes and the box, but um, I was surprised we didn't get a more heavy uh, torture or gore here in the beginning. It was pretty light on that. Yeah, it was pretty quick and just not really uh, dynamic in terms of the way it was filmed or the way things were unfolding. It was just very straightforward. Yeah, it was. It was very to the point. Yeah. Um, so then we randomly jump six years into the future. Not not sure why there's this gap here. Maybe you can tell me later. Uh, we meet our main character. I don't know either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we meet our main character, Riley. Uh, she's a recovering alcoholic living with her brother and she's struggling to make ends meet. Her boyfriend, Trevor, invites her to accompany him to raid the shipment that was delivered to some billionaire's house. So they break in and they find the shipment container and they go inside of it and they find a safe in which they find a box that has the puzzle box. So she takes this home with her thinking that it might be worth something that they could pawn it off, uh, make some money off of it. Later that night, though, after she has an argument with her brother and taking some pills, 
she fidgets with the puzzle box and causes the knife to pop out, but fortunately, this time she doesn't get stabbed. She was holding it in a way where she, she uh, is able to avoid being stabbed by it. But she does pass out and has a vision of Pinhead, the Cenobite that we have seen throughout the franchise, telling her that she owes them some blood, if not hers, someone else's. And then meanwhile, her brother finds her passed out on the playground and pulls the box from her hand. Uh, in doing so, he cuts his hand and he goes into the restroom to wash it off. And suddenly we hear his screams and there's just blood everywhere, but he's gone missing. What'd you think of, uh, what'd you think of these characters and then this scene? Uh, one of my beasts with the franchise as a whole when I wrapped up my franchise review was that there are never, there's never a main character who is sympathetic. There's like never anybody you feel like you can get on board with. Yeah. And unfortunately I feel the same way here. I did not like this main character. I understand she's struggling with addiction and that kind of character isn't always going to be super likable, but... I also just don't feel like we had a window into her, who she was enough to really be on this journey and this struggle with her. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like any of the other characters either. We weren't really given much about them, just kind of people shouting at each other in a scuzzy apartment. And I don't know, man. I just, I wasn't into it. How about you? Uh, yeah, just so you know, Brian doesn't like poor people, people live in apartments, and people with addictions. Those are three no <laughs> apartment dwellers. <laughs> oh man, we just we just lost like seventy five percent of our listeners. <laughs> no, I hear that. I don't feel feel like the film gave us much to like. They didn't really like humanize her that much. They kind of just like jumped to the flaws, really. And uh, yeah, they they could have gone a lot. Like we know, like she's struggling financially, and she's had this past. But um, yeah, I think they could have portrayed that in a much more heartfelt way than I, I don't feel like they gave her a lot of credit or uh, power in her role. Yes, yeah, I don't. Yeah, that probably came out pretty <laughs> awful. I guess I'm just kind of sick of the like we're gonna hit you hard with this deep life stuff and (laughs) everything's like scuzzy because they don't have that much money and they're not not everyone's mean to each other because that's the way life or not everyone's nice to each other because that's the way life is sometimes (laughs) like i get it i get it but like give us some we're sitting at home watching this on our tv or we're in a theater like and we're humans with emotions right Give us something like we're going to be with this character for a long time. So, yeah, everybody, if you're out there in your scuzzy apartments feeding your addictions and I'm making you want to feed your addictions more. I see you. I care about you. I love you. You're going to get through this. But not Riley. (laughs) You have something inside you that makes me care about you right and if you there was a movie about you i'd like to see it on screen exactly yeah no i i think this is the the director's angle and because i you know i i would argue that later in this film you actually do have a character or two that uh you do feel for a little bit more sentimental attachment or are shown in more positive lights uh i i think they, yeah, they, they really uh paint her in a negative light out, off here and not much to the gain of the viewer i guess or, or to the character yeah and i don't even know if it's painting her in a negative light it's just like not showing me enough her humanity or something about her that you can see yourself in. Although people with addiction struggles, mm-hmm. addiction, period, may t- feel totally opposite. And somebody on our Discord server said, like, oh, man, like, her dumping the bills out and yeah. then picking them back up, like, felt like I felt seen by it. So yeah, 
I imagine if you've struggled with addiction, maybe you're feeling the total opposite way. That, that like that this was are, a relatable yeah. character. Right. Yeah. Right. We captured it. Uh, yeah. Pretty like, I guess she's like kind of self-destructive in a way. Um, yeah. And, th- sure. and that's what like they're hitting hard here. Um, and then, yeah. P- painting her like brother as like someone who's like trying to like help her out or save her or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And even like the struggles between those two and like him being painted as more like the good guy trying to get her on the right track. We, there just could have been something more touching in their brother-sister interactions, too. I agree. We just, we just didn't get anything to grab onto, we in didn't. my opinion. It was, yeah, it was, it was kind of rushed here. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, it's too bad, because I feel like that relationship uh, does play a role in the rest of the, in like how the film grows uh, and where it goes. But uh, what did you think of the murder of the brother? Um, again, it didn't feel like not much really um, yeah. was shown. Or, like, he just kind of was gone. Yeah. We just saw, like, some blood in a sink and then some, like, walls moving around, which I thought the walls moving around is a cool thing throughout this film anytime, like, an attack is coming. But, yeah, still we're not, like, really seeing any any action happening here. Yeah, and when we did see the Cenobites up until this point, they're very much lurking in the shadows. And a lot of this movie feels very dark, like, visually dark. Um, And I just was, like... I'd like to see a little bit more what what's going on back. Like, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like what David was talking about on our found footage episode. Like, monster movie people want to see the thing. Oh, yeah. And you do kind of eventually, but... Yeah. I feel like Hellraiser is partly a showcase of special effects, so it's just... Yeah. Well, I, I kind of... I, I appreciate what they're doing here. They're kind of warming up the engines a bit. And, yeah, right now you're only seeing them from a distance. I, I kind of like that they're easing into it a little bit versus just like because i think later in the film like it's you get so much face time with them that sure maybe this kind of build up uh was you know it, i think it works a little bit in building suspense yeah maybe it would have worked for me more if i was more into the plot sure yeah <laughs> that would have helped um so uh she's convinced uh riley's convinced that this box had something to do with her boyfriend's or her brother's disappearance and we see that like after the brother gets taken the box kind of moves uh, and configures itself in a different way. So she and her boyfriend, Trevor, track down the owner of the shipment container that they found the box in. And it turns out to be the lawyer from the beginning who was buying the box. And she now lives in a nursing home. The lawyer warns Riley about the box and tries to take it away from her, only to accidentally stab herself with it. And then later, when the lawyer is alone... We finally see the Cenobites emerge, and um, I don't know, even this kill wasn't very, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's like very graphic or like even very explicit. They just uh, kind of take something and put it in her mouth and tell her to save her breath for screaming. So, uh, yeah, what would you think of this? I just totally spaced out because I was so worried about how I called everybody <laughs> poor and drug addict. We can edit what, what kill is this? <laughs> this is the friend in the back of the van? No, the lawyer, man. We're still like an hour before that. <laughs> the lawyer. I just like, I just got really guilt, overridden <laughs> with guilt. The lawyer. Oh my gosh. How did she? It, yeah, I don't even remember that. Yeah, you don't really see much. But this is the first time we see the Cenobites because uh, she's in the nursing home. Two of them kind of walk out. They taunt her a little bit. And then uh, she's like begging for mercy. And uh, she puts like something in her mouth. Uh, and then it cuts out. Okay, I remember this now. Yeah, that was fine. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry, everybody. No. I'm giving the shittiest, most negative <laughs> review. I uh, And I don't have anything intelligent to say about it either. I'm no. just kind of underwhelmed in general. What did you think of this one? Same, man. I mean, I, I think I, all I know about this franchise is there's someone with pins in their face and some really, like, torturous kills. And so far, I haven't, like, seen too much of either of those. So I'm just wondering, like, what, what, what's the holdup here? Where's, where's, where's Hellraiser? Sure, yeah. Where's the pins? Yeah, exactly. Show me the pins. Um, and, oh, but I also thought this was a waste of this actress. I, I think this actress is kind of famous. Like, I've seen her. She was, she's in Succession. She's been in the show Rami. Uh, oh, Succession. That's where I recognized her yeah, from. Yeah, I think sure. she's Marcia. Uh, Marcia. Yeah, I forget what her name is. But uh, yeah, and, and she, like her role here, like we just saw her in the opening scene and then she's here just to die, basically. Just kind of Her weird. role was totally useless. The yeah. whole like connection from the opening scene to the rest of the movie <laughs> could have been done so much better. I, so much opportunity was left on the table there. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. I mean, it ends up coming back around and... I don't hate how it comes back around, but it just feels like a missed opportunity. I agree. I agree. Yeah, kind of choppy. Mm -hmm. So despite her boyfriend Trevor telling her to get rid of the box, Riley now goes to the estate of Ronald... Ah, that's funny. Of Roland Voigt, who has (laughs) been missing uh, for the last six years, we we find out, and uh, she thinks she can find the answers to whatever this box thing is at, at his old house. There she finds a bunch of notes showing that the puzzle box contains all these configurations and each time someone is stabbed with it, it moves to the next configuration and once all of the configurations are solved and the, bo- and the puzzle is solved, uh, whoever is holding the box gets an audience with God? Is that right? Yeah, essentially. I think like with the Leviathan, who is a God. Okay. Yeah. It, the, the mythology of the Hellraiser franchise has always been confusing to me and yeah i'm okay with that i i know there's a lot of nerds out there who are probably screaming at us and know exactly who the leviathan is but i don't quite remember yeah i assume it's like the boss of the cenobites maybe if there's like some kind of uh org, org structure chairman of the board yeah right kind of sitting up there making yeah. key decisions stake at shareholder meetings yeah chief yeah. executive of pins yeah exactly <laughs> looking at those vendor relationships and the sharp them. object division yeah exactly <laughs> do that due diligence uh so while she or while she and trevor are at this estate while they're at this estate her brother's boyfriend and roommate shows up um and you know i, I think when we talk about the lack of humanity shown here in riley at certain points in this film or kind of how, how they don't really go too far into her um, I do think they paint these two characters in a very positive light as like being like very caring about her and like trying to be supportive of like her as she's going through her brother's loss. What, what do you think? Do you, f- you feel like they, they kind of overcompensated on these two characters? No, I feel like they're just there. I disagree with you. I don't really. I mean, there's a difference between people being plainly like good people who mean well and the French and the sh- movie and people being like fleshed out characters that yeah. you can that you feel like are real or like you're there with. And I don't think anybody felt that way. In this? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought these two felt a little more grounded and it was nice and like heartwarming to see them like caring about the sister of one of their roommates who's been, who's like just been missing uh, and like coming after her. Um, and kind of like the way they talk to her, like we don't drink around uh, Riley and, and things like that. So I, I feel like 
they're very aware of like her and what she's going through and like patient with her. So I, that's fair. I do feel like they went out of the way a little bit to kind of show that. But I hear what you're saying. It's one thing to be a nice person and another thing to be a fully full person. Every once in a while, Big Turkey on the Discord server says somebody peed in my cornflakes before <laughs> yeah. I watched the movie. So what happened here? <laughs> I think that's what happened. <laughs> you have like a list of suspects. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're three years old and five years old. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, so uh, while she... Uh, shit, where are we? Oh, okay. So the roommate finds herself trapped in a secret hallway when she suddenly gets stabbed in the back with the puzzle box by, it turns out to be Roland Voigt, who has been missing for six years, but it turns out he's just been hiding here in, inside the walls of the mansion. The four of them run out of there, uh, and as they drive away in the van, the roommate sees the Cenobites appear, and she's pulled up, uh, or, yeah, she's kind of like pulled away from reality into the Cenobite uh, dimension, and there are these body chains hook onto her and pull her up, and the pinhead comes around and stabs uh, her with uh, something through the throat multiple times before uh, they kill her, like rip her head off. What'd you think of this kill? This one was better. Um, I like that you just said body chains, like that's the type of chain, isn't it? <laughs> the <type laughs> Go, of the going to the hardware store. <laughs> yeah, you don't know body, body chains. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, they're right next to the body pin. Yeah, they know exactly what you're talking about. In the body aisle. Yeah. Um, I thought this one was better. I also were starting to see more of the Cenobites at this point. Yeah. And I think the Cenobites' faces look cool, and I'm on board with the appearance of Jamie Clayton yeah. as Pinhead. Um, so I'm glad for that. And and things are starting to feel like they're picking up pace, and the stakes are. I don't feel like the stakes are ever quite as high as I want them to be in this movie, but they're getting higher. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Some people we know are getting taken away. We're actually seeing the deaths happen now. Yeah, I, I thought this was like the best kill so far and really cool to see. It really interesting shot, like to see the inside of the throat and the needle kind of just going through it. That was, I thought it was a really interesting choice, but uh, cool, cool weirdness. That was actually a really nice touch. I, I forgot about that. I'm so blinded by the urine in the cereal. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. I enjoyed that. That was a very Hellraiser thing to do. Just like randomly uh, like go deep in on a certain angle of body Yeah, part. yeah. I mean, not like I, I'm saying like I'm saying that as if it was a trend throughout the franchise, but I feel like that's in keeping with the spirit of the first movie leaning more towards a body horror yeah. film N many of the sequels veer up far away from the body horror uh in terms of the feel of the movie itself but that felt very body horror it did and so that was cool that was a nice touch yeah I that agree. i'm sure pleased hellraiser fans and i think hellraiser fans quite a few of them were like this movie gave me what i wanted and i liked it yeah and i think that something like that scene is like an exhibit a yeah that argument sure yeah it is yeah, it was refreshing to finally see that happen because, uh, yeah, the other ones kind of have been a little underwhelming so far. Yeah, agreed. The car crashes and Riley and her boyfriend and her brother's boyfriend try to run back to the mansion, but they get attacked by the Cenobites. The pinhead one tells Riley that she owes them two more bodies. Meanwhile, the one called the Chatterer attacks her brother's boyfriend and uh, comes after Riley and Trevor and... Um, Riley stabs the chatterer with the puzzle box knife 
the chatterer steps back chains come out grab him and then pull his body apart uh i, I, I to me I, I like the chatterer a lot I, I feel like that's like one of the scarier center bites and uh cool i i didn't realize like one of them could be killed with a box did you know that that was a cool way to uh how that unfold it was cool that you learned okay the cenobites are fair game in this too like yeah if they're stabbed they could go and this the chatterer looked cool i think that might be the coolest looking cenobite in this movie i agree i agree it's uh, a creepy one yeah so that was cool i i'm a fan of the chatterer i i liked that i liked that plot point yep it, and that hasn't happened in the earlier films um, I mean, the Cenobites can be, like, thwarted. I'm trying to think. I don't know that, like, a Cenobite has specifically been targeted like that hmm. by the puzzle box. Okay. It's possible it happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't seem like circular logic to me. Like, wait, you can use their weapon against them this whole time. Like, you don't need to be going around killing people. You can just end them. And then... Like, can you just get rid of all the Cenobites then? Yeah, I mean, it's always weird how they thwart the Cenobites at the, by the end of a Hellraiser movie. It's oh. just like some weird logic where it's like, no, and oh, then yeah. they're gone. <laughs> Didn't think of that. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. All right. Yeah, they usually somehow get banished back to hell, but yeah. I don't remember them like getting ripped apart with chains very often, but yeah. some Hellraiser diehard will, will come out and correct me. Okay. So the three of them make it back into the mansion and they lure one of the Cenobites in there and attempt to stab it with the box and and fulfill the blood requirements. But the Cenobite comes in and makes a run at Riley. They trap it, uh, but in the hustle she drops the puzzle box and now Roland reemerges and he grabs it. And it's revealed that six years ago when he had finished this puzzle and asked for pleasure as his gift, instead they jabbed him with some kind of metal thing that keeps twisting around in his body and gives him a lot of pain uh which i thought was a really cool looking contraption uh and it was cool like however like few minutes it would just kind of like start whirring and like pull his veins around uh what did you think of that thing i actually did think that was cool it it felt like steampunk even though i don't know what steampunk is (laughs) if we knew what steampunk was that would probably probably be close to that yeah exactly yeah oh man uh also he didn't ask for pleasure he I think it was sensation. Like oh. that's one of the configurations that you can ask for. Oh, okay. You, so, you want sensation. And so then they like jab this thing through him, and then now he gets like a really painful sensation every. That yeah uh, yeah yeah. Wild. Also, I think you mentioned something back there that would have made a great tagline for the movie: "Fulfill the blood requirement." Oh yeah. <laughs> that <has a> great, <laughs> it's very ominous. Off. Yeah, it's a great. Tagline. Also, body chains. Yep, and <laughs> body chains. <laughs> Uh, all right, and then he now tells the Cenobites, uh, he oh he traps them in these cage things around that are set up around the mansion, and he tells them that he wants to be released from the torture. Meanwhile, Riley grabs the puzzle box and runs to find her brother's boyfriend and her boyfriend Trevor. Her brother's boyfriend is being ripped into by one of the Cenobites as a final sacrifice. These kind of like razor wires have come out, and they're pulling him apart. So Riley instead stabs Trevor because we also found out that Trevor was working for Roland and had uh, played a role in kind of getting Riley all caught up in in this and her discovery of the box. So losing uh, her love for him, she decides to 
make him the final sacrifice and he is cut up and dragged underground um riley who has now given all the sacrifices is asked by the cenobites what she wants for a gift but she realizes that whatever she asks for they're going to twist around and make it really painful on her so she decides to ask for nothing and they give her this big speech on how she's choosing lament and how that means she's always going to live with the regrets of the death and like live on i thought this was really on the nose what, what did you think <laughs> yeah it was super on the nose that's right? exactly what i have in my nose yeah and it's just like it's the way that jamie clayton delivered it too she's just like yeah. you choose to live yeah. to carry that weight <laughs> you have chosen lament, lament. figure it's like oh <laughs> man we're coming back around and that so means hard every day like in the your life. drug addiction theme yeah. and like you choose to oh. to continue and like yeah plot on through life like, bravo i mean she might oh, as well give her a slow clap and, I, did, I didn't make that character arc uh connection so you, you think that was a comment on like how she was living her life previously yeah i think like living with addiction living with the loss of her brother and her friends like i think it's just a commentary on addiction and loss and mm. life sucking but you go on every day interesting regardless oh, okay, okay. i think this pinhead has one of those posters in her office of the cat hanging onto the ledge <laughs> for sure because <laughs> uh, she had an option here where she could have brought her brother back but i think she knows like it, it wouldn't have worked out that way yeah resurrection was one of the configurations uh so yeah i think she was learning and roland voigt even said like yeah. All they do is twist around your wishes into lies and, you know, give you something, give you the opposite of what you were asking for. Right. Not unlike our homeboy and Wishmaster. Oh, yeah. Very similar. Wishmaster, oh, man, I could have seen Clive Barker being involved with that somehow. I kind of had his I vibe. know, right? It feels kind of Clive Barker-esque. Yeah, the whole fantasy side. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know what? I will say at this point, one of my biggest beefs with the franchise was has been the puzzle box. Mm-hmm. It's like whatever they want it to be. It's either really hard to solve or most of the time someone just runs their finger along it and it just shoots a blue laser at somebody or something. Oh. It makes no sense. There's no logic to it. It's just a box with VFX effects on top of it. But this one, having it actually be a puzzle box that we see open and spin like maybe that was some cgi but i got the impression there was an actual device they made for this movie oh cool um at least that's what it looked like to me yeah either way the fact that it had multiple configurations we saw it open change shape we saw how people could unlock it and that each of those phases meant something yeah that i appreciated that because the puzzle box has always been such a silly little thing and the other ones that just didn't make any sense yeah. And it added mythology. Like any of the Hellraiser movies that can add on to the mythology, our fans seem to like give bonus points. Like Judgment sure. did that. Judgment's an otherwise not very good movie, but I think people put it higher up in their ranking because it adds to the mythology. And this one did that. And I think fans will appreciate that. I appreciated it as well. Yeah. Yeah, I was wondering about that. The box did look really cool. And I, I didn't know how much of the mythology and like the, the seven configurations is from other films. So that this is the first time they're they're talking through that. Yeah, this is the first mention of configurations that I've I mean it was always been called 
the lament configuration in the movies in the book i think it's Lamar Shan configuration or something like that. I don't think Lament configurations ever actually spoken in the book, mm. but there's never been like different configurations other than that. Uh, okay. Other than Lament. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. No. I yeah. The box I, I think really held the movie together. It's 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 a uh, kind of sad like when the strong points of a film is uh, an anime. Well, I guess an animate object. <laughs> right. Like an object. Yeah. Right. An object. Yeah. I mean, they got some things right. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, well, yeah, the movie ends here with Voight now asking the Cenobites for the gift of power, I believe. So they take out the torture device that's embedded in his body, and he has a few minutes of peace. But then suddenly a giant chain, a giant body chain comes through the ceiling. Thank you. And impales him. <laughs> and then pulls him up into the sky where we see his body and the skin being flayed off of it. And I think he's transformed into a new Cenobite. And that's where the movie ends, correct? Yep. Yeah. Cool. So what were your what were your thoughts here? I loved it. Oh yeah, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it very yep. much. Um <laughs> I don't think it needed to be two hours long. The plot didn't have the complexity and the characters did not have the depth to require that. Yeah, it definitely dragged a bit in in the middle there. Yeah. I think the plot was uninteresting to me, and I wasn't invested in the characters. The photography wasn't very captivating. I don't know if you feel otherwise. It no. just was there. Nothing special down there, which is surprising because yeah. uh, David Bruckner, you'd expect something a little bit more. Yeah. Know? Yeah. I just feel like I'm so surprised that this was a David Bruckner Hellraiser movie. Like, a guy who just made The Night House, one of the best movies. Yeah. Theatrical horror movies in recent years then teams up with the Hellraiser franchise and like this is what we got yeah this does not feel that different to me than movies 5 through 10 I know mm. some people's eyes might bug out of their heads when they hear that it's definitely the best version <laughs> of that type of movie like if this was I put this above 5 and 10 mm-hmm five through ten rather but it's not that different it it also feels like a movie script that could have existed and had Cenobites and the puzzle box pushed onto it in a way like it's just yeah. such a generic premise like somebody addicted to drugs like looking for a quick influx of cash like does something shady and gets involved in something bigger than they knew. Like, right. that's the setup for, know. like, a, a different type of movie. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that one a few times. And so it's yeah. just like, why couldn't we have done, after all these years, something more creative? Yeah. And this was just, it didn't veer too far away from what we've seen in the past from this franchise. So it's just, felt like such a missed opportunity. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. I don't know. I have more thoughts, but what do you think? I've been I've been preaching, groaning, and peeing. <laughs> In the peeing. Uh, well, you know, I, I think I'm coming from a different perspective because I, I haven't seen all the films. I've only seen the first one. And I feel like the first one was so original, and that a lot of that is lost here. Um, yeah, you, you, I mean, we, we know the who the Cenobites are. We know how they work. So I, I didn't feel like it was adding too much, except to your point about the box and how that works. Um, 
but yeah, otherwise it just kind of felt derivative there. The story I thought was like needlessly, needlessly convoluted sometimes. Uh, like the whole frame story with Roland and the lawyer. Like, I don't even know if you needed Roland and the lawyer in this. Like this could have just been about her going through it and you could have spent that more of that time on character development or tying it to, uh, yeah, whatever struggle that she was going through. Um, and then I, I think it was lacking. I feel like the first one had more of a romance angle to it as well, which was signature of... Clive Barker and we didn't really have that here which it's not like I really missed it or cared for it but it did feel like it was uh, a missing component of the brand um, so yeah I also wasn't like a huge fan of it the first one is so much about like desire and wanting to push <laughs> the boundaries of like what you want and yeah. what pleasure is and like feeling jaded about life and, and doing willing to do anything to get past that right and it feels like so many of the sequels miss that. And so often it's just like someone who stumbles upon the box or someone yeah. who is maybe like a, a shady ish person and it is maybe in the wrong pursuits, but they don't really understand the box. Like the first one was someone who's like, I know this box has some things I can, I know there's a risk, whatever it is. Like I'm, I'm in it. I'm yeah. doing it. Yep. And no other movies really go down that route that hard. And mm. this felt like a great opportunity to come up with a creative story that hits that thread again. But it, again, it was just somebody in like the wrong place, wrong time. Exactly. And Finding a box. It, yeah, yeah. It just takes away so much from it. We had Roland Voigt's kind of the guy who's pursuing the sensation and, and power hungry and everything. But he's just like. It's like barely there. Barely there. Yeah, it, I don't. You know, it's interesting. I, I thought they hinted towards that sentiment from the first film in the first scene of Riley, where she's like having sex with her boyfriend Trevor, and uh, it sounds like she's asking for him to like make it hurt, right? Uh, I, I think there's like something like uh, I, I forget what she says, but I thought yeah, they were like harder or faster, and he's like, "Aren't you? Aren't I hurting you?" Yeah, and she's like, "No, I love it." Right, right. So I, I think that. Do you think was that was just like the one nod back to like that sentiment in the original film? I don't know, right? The, the I mean, like, that pain. would have been a perfect opportunity. Like, okay, we'll take it from here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then they just walked away from that. Yeah, that was weird. Also, that didn't really add up that much to me because then he goes, oh, and I love, like, she's like, I love it. And he goes, I love you. <laughs> and then she freaks out. Yeah. But then he's the one who decides, like, I'm going to kill her just so I can get paid by this guy. <laughs> yeah. Like, we went nowhere with that. They never discussed it again that he said, I love you, and she left him hanging. Right, right. And then he's the bad guy, he's... like, using her. Like, right. that doesn't even make sense. Like, yeah. It's like they had two different ideas for the script and forgot <laughs> to delete <laughs> that, like, yeah. line of dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. It I, just I, feels like a mess. It does, yeah. And he, even, like, Trevor, like, you're right, like, he, he sets her up to fail and, like, to die. But then, like, he's also trying to, like, stop her the whole film from, like, going there and he's, like, trying to get rid of the box. I, I couldn't tell what, what he was up to. It was, it was kind of wild. It makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. I think they were maybe trying to make him complex, but it just it didn't <laughs> It just came didn't off didn't confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think strength-wise, though, like, uh, some, some of the gore and some of the kills towards the end of the film and some of the visuals with like the cages and uh um yeah how the Cenobites looked like how'd you feel about all that I, I thought that was all pretty good I do think it's pretty good and I think from the neck up the Cenobites looked really good hmm. the I hate to nitpick because I do think the special effects on the whole were a good aspect of this but this the special effects makeup and even the set design too maybe my complaint about them and I don't know if this makes sense is that they didn't feel like very tactile to me like mm -hmm. 
in the first one, if you were to reach out and touch the Cenobites, you would expect to feel like moisture and heat and goo and blood and like grossness. Yeah. But for these ones, it felt like if you reached out and touched like the their plastic. chest or shoulders or whatever, yeah. yeah, it'd be like plastic or rubber. Like, right. Probably because that's what it was, but it just, I liked the design and I liked their faces, but it didn't look like wet and gross. Yeah. It looked like a rubber suit. Yeah, I agree. It, it looks really clean and polished. And yes. yeah, that, I really miss like the grittiness of uh, the Cenobites on the first one. Grittiness. That's a, a perfect, this film tried to manufacture grittiness, but it, it yeah. didn't, it did look too clean and polished. Sure. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Uh, how would you rate like the acting though, like across the Cenobites and uh, the human actors? I actually thought the Cenobites gave pretty great performances. I didn't. How did you feel about the choice to have Jamie Clayton's voice like layered and? Oh, is that what they did to it? Yeah, I, I don't okay. know. It's, it's kind of like coming in like if everyone else is mono, she's in stereo. That's not how it is, but you know what I mean. It's just like oh, really? Like it booming, sounds yeah. a little bit omnipresent and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it didn't jump out to me that much that like yeah, when she was talking, it was so different. Just uh, because I think I would just get pissed every time they started talking. So it just felt like they were giving them too many lectures. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it kind of like takes away the scariness sometimes when you have a monster who just like gives you lectures or explains rules to you all the time. She got a little luxury. And in the first movies, Doug Bradley, Pinhead was saying more like ominous things. But then he becomes kind of like this moral guide throughout the rest of the franchise. And he gets a little luxury. So. Oh. I do think they did that a little too much here, and I didn't even understand some of what Pinhead was saying some of the time, or like what it meant. Like, uh-huh. what, what, where's yeah. this going? You don't watch with the um, subtitles on. I had to turn them on at some point because I was just yeah. like, "What are they?" And then <laughs> even with them on, I was like, "Okay, still, still not really sure. <laughs> I understand, understand what yeah. <laughs> what they were going for." Them. Yeah, but anyway, all of it to say, like, I do think the Cenobites were a strength. They were better than they have been in movies five through ten, but. And I, I think that's great for fans, but I still think there was a lot that could have been better. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe and it's nothing they couldn't fix for the next movie. Like, sure. I feel like they're on the right track. Just make it a little grittier and grosser. And yep. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, uh, they. Yeah, I, I agree. Like the head designs are cool, but like too clean, too polished. And I, I didn't think they're very scary. Um, and once you could, once I figured you could stab them with that that box thing, I, I don't feel like they. They, they always just, like, show up, they talk to you, and then chains come out and kill you. Um, so, I, yeah, it doesn't seem like... It seems like you should just be able to walk up to them and stab them and, it, and kill them all. It doesn't seem like that hard. But What do you feel, like, about... And you don't have much knowledge of the rest of the franchise, but did you feel like it was weird that a little, like, pokey thing came out of the puzzle box and cut people, and that was how they were, like, marked? Oh, um, no, I guess that made... I, I, I bought into it. Yeah, I didn't question that part too much. Um, it seems kind of silly though that like, yeah, you're just counting on people getting cut by this thing and then they're yours. Is that now what happened in the first one? No, that's never been a part of it. Oh, okay. Uh, so that was a weird, as much as I appreciated the puzzle box actually doing things and being a physical object, I didn't understand why they had to add that oh, element so of it. That seemed a little strange. How were people marked in the first one? Um, they weren't really truly marked. It was just like if you opened the puzzle box, like you were... Oh, eventually, a goner kind of, or you could trade. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. yeah, honestly, I'm. 
I spent so much of the franchise confused about the rules that like you're asking me very basic questions and I feel like an <laughs> idiot because I can't answer. Like, keep, I don't know. I don't even remember how people died or why people died. Like, should we keep it's going? a franchise that doesn't make much sense. I, I could ask you a few more questions about the franchise. <laughs> Just die, go in a little deeper there. Just to make me look like an idiot? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would make it easier for the people whose cereal <laughs> I'm now peeing in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, any, anything else to add, or do you want to jump to the rating? Um, I think that um, we could jump to the rating. Okay. Well, how many needles going through people's throat would you give this one? I only give it two out of five needles going through people's throats. How about mm, you? Yeah, it's low. Uh, I'm at two and a half. I, I thought you'd be like in the three plus, but damn. Can I ask you, did it feel like a David Bruckner movie to you? Not at all, man. I, I feel like any director could have done this. Uh, I, was, I was really disappointed because, yeah, Nighthouse, you have this, like, great art house type of horror film and such signature styles. And this, yeah, just felt, I think similar to what we were saying about the music, kind of just generic and, and in the background. So kind of disappointed. On that I side. felt the same way. And then part of me was like, well, maybe it's, like, bigger than that. And he's... Instead of being like, I'm going to make a David Bruckner movie, me and like, I'm going to make a Hellraiser movie. I have to like bow to the franchise and its aesthetic and everything. Mm. But I don't think that's what this franchise needed. I think it needed, I think it needed rejuvenation. It needed a fresh take. Yeah. I, I think that this is enough to bring the franchise back a little bit, but I also. I don't know. We've set up these channels on the Discord server for movies as new movies as they come out. And there's things like there are these movies where no one really talks about them or sees them coming, but then they blow people away and people talk about them for weeks, like yeah. Barbarian, you know? Yeah. Like people talked about Barbarian for like weeks after it came out and there was a lot of discussion. Mm -hmm. But in this Hellraiser channel, there hasn't been much discussion. It's been and I feel like people who are already done talking about it were less than a week away from it. Wow. Yeah. So it's just like, there's just not much here. I, I just, yeah. I feel like it's good for the franchise and that this is best, the best movie we've had in a long time, but also it could have been so much better to me. Sure. I agree. I agree. This was a chance to definitely reset it. But I, I wonder like how popular is this franchise anyway? Like, uh, it, it, it doesn't come close to, like the... Halloween's or the Friday the 13th Nightmare on Elm Street, right? No, but I think a cert there are certain people who just like they're like I, I'm just into this franchise for, for whatever reason. Like I'm I'm a Hellraiser fan, and I think some of the S and M stuff might speak to certain people. Again, something they totally ignored here. They Not did. a very like sexual movie or anything, right? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I would love to hear from more Hellraiser fans and and see how they felt about it. Like. Were you guys a little disappointed, or do you consider this a win? Yeah. I would still say I think it's like the fourth best movie in the franchise, but I just think the franchise as a whole is really bad. Yeah, what's your ranking then for the top ones? Is the the first one the best? It's actually I have the first one in third place. Oh, mine wow. goes number two, number three, the first one, and now this one. one. Oh, okay, and okay. then number four. Okay, wow. Number four and this one are close. I could see number four moving above this one upon rewatch. Number four is not, it's objectively not a good movie, but mm -hmm. it's entertaining at least. Yeah, sure, sure. Whereas like this one, yeah, I think sometimes I was kind of bored too, like, why are we watching this? Yeah, but, right. Yeah. All right. Well, good to know. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised that the sequels uh, have more, more strength than the first one. I'll check them yeah, out. Yeah, in my opinion. I don't think many people, I think most people put 
the first Hellraiser at the top of their list. But yeah, yeah, OG. I just wasn't wild about it. OG. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, anything else to add? That's it. I'll stop. Sorry, everybody. I'll shut up. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Get some new cornflakes, man. <laughs> I don't know. A higher table that someone can jump on and be. <laughs> creative ways to avoid that being the cornflakes. Dude, my five-year-old will literally, they've gotten over this, but there was like a week or two where he was like whispering to the three-year-old, like, go pee in mom's <laughs> office. And then they would like go in there and we'd like open the door and he'd be like peeing on the floor. Oh my God. It was a nightmare. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. <laughs> Brothers. But I choose to live. I choose yeah. to go on. Nice, you choose. This is my lament category. <laughs> Let me explain that to you. All right. Well, that's going to be it for our discussion on Hellraiser 2022. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That's going to help other people find this show. And we always welcome the feedback. If you want to join the discussion, you can find our social links on horrormovieclub.com. You can also shoot us an email at podcast at horrormovieclub.com. We'll announce next week's movie on Facebook and Twitter in case you want to watch it before the next episode. We're also on Discord, where you can find us and other horror movie fans. And uh, you can find the link to that on our website. Our logo is by Amy May Pop Art. So check her out on Etsy.com. And until next time, if you're in the need for some money and you stumble upon a puzzle box, ask your friend or your podcast co-host to try and solve the puzzle first, just to make sure you're in the clear. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I was thinking of you. <laughs> By the way, I got, I got something I need you to look at later. All <laughs> right, cool. Yeah. I'll just put my fingers all over it. Yeah, just pick up some body chains on the store on the way. <laughs> You're going to get out. Stop by the body store. Yeah, exactly.